0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time time
1: for Taiwan This Week.
0: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular ICRT commentators Brian Hugh. Thanks for having me. And Ross Feingold. Good evening. And tonight we'll be discussing jitters over a pending deal between the Vatican and China... A couple of polls on the latest election news, a high-profile murder investigation taking a major turn, legal questions over government plans to make English an official language, and yet another case of the use of Nazi symbolism. We'll begin the show today with the suicide of the head of Taiwan's office in Osaka and student spies colliding head-on as the government this week set out plans to tackle the spread of fake news. Now the fake news that led to the move to amend the National Security Act and also laws and other regulations allegedly came from China. One case was based on reports that Beijing had deployed tour buses to evacuate Chinese nationals from Kansai International Airport in Japan after Typhoon Jebi led to its closure on September the 4th. Now this led to widespread criticism of Taiwan's office in Osaka and the suicide on September 14th of Su Chi Chung, who served as the director general of the Osaka branch of the Taipei Economic and Cultural Office. The reports that the Chinese embassy in Japan sent tour buses to pick up Chinese tourists stuck at the international airport later proved to be false, as did claims that ROC passport holders were allowed to board the buses, but only if they chose to designate themselves as PRC national. Now, Chinese media has also run stories claiming that Taiwan's intelligence services are recruiting Chinese students studying in Taiwan as spies, and that Taiwan-grown bananas contain unsafe levels of pesticide residue. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen is urging the public not to spread fake news and misinformation, and says the government will seek to clarify misinformation in order to prevent the possibility of said misinformation being used by certain people and groups to the upcoming elections or so divisions in society now the national communications commission this week said that radio and television stations that broadcast fake news will be fined up to two million nt and the government is also planning to amend the national security act to stop the spread of false news and information on the internet so ross obviously taiwan fake news big news in fact fake news is technically big news in maybe a fake
1: way all over the world these days Uh, Hopefully nothing we say in this program is fake news uh, tonight, Gavin. But this topic has been a matter of conversation here in Taiwan for a substantial period of time. And it's kind of ebbed and flowed that there's been accusations of news um, that comes from China that uh, is meant to cause uh, discord within Taiwan society, meant to cause criticism of the government. And without a doubt, sometimes the source of these stories is China's uh, intelligence agencies or United Front uh, Department. Um, But sometimes it's just people here who don't like the government for whatever reason, and they make stuff up just as a way of criticism. And sometimes the issue is bad reporting. But in a democracy with a respect for human rights and freedom of speech, which is something people fought for for decades, literally, and people suffered to achieve that. I think we have to be very careful here about uh, legislating against fake news further than what's already provided for in existing law. So for example, media outlets do have obligations to check the facts before they report something, whether it's in print or uh, uh, on TV, especially um, outlets like that, which are regulated, highly regulated. In fact, newspapers and and television are highly regulated, and their news departments and their stories have to follow uh, certain guidelines with regard to uh, verification of facts. And when they don't, and they're caught, you know, articles are, are found to include uh, facts or f- phony facts, or you could call it fake news, that the journalists are proven not to have thoroughly checked. Uh, media outlets can be fined for, for um, being derelict in their duty to check the facts and, and report accurate stories. And there are there are uh, news this week that the government is, in fact, investigating several uh, television news um, programs for reporting items that they clearly did not do a thorough job in accordance with their own internal guidelines at the TV stations uh, to check the facts. Um, but w- with regard to what happened in Japan, uh, the the truth is we don't know exactly the truth yet. For example, Uh, Maybe the the Chinese didn't send buses into the airport, but it's clear that the Chinese consulate in Osaka did provide a certain level of consular support, which they are able to do because they have a lot of resources. And it appears that there is a possibility, at least, that the TICO, the Taiwan Economic Cultural Office in Osaka was unable to provide the same level of consular support to Taiwan nationals. Now, whether that was because of a lack of resources or because of a dereliction of duty, only time will tell as more investigations are conducted. Uh, but fake news is, is a bit of an easy way out of... of Um, what transpired in this particular situation, which requires a more thorough investigation. And to the extent that the government does plan to investigate, we we should hope that it does so in a very thorough as well as transparent way. What I mean is there's some stories in the news this week that, that do say the office may have been derelict. Um, and there are stories that, that says one of the reasons that uh, Mr. Sue took his own life tragically was because he was even facing internal discipline for the performance of his office. We don't know if that's fake news or if that's actually true, uh, but an investigation um, does require a level of transparency so that we could find out the truth.
2: I think that's right. Um, it's quite difficult to... I mean, just, it, fake news is an issue that democracies across the world have been dealing with in past years. But oftentimes what we see in Taiwan is that the media culture is sometimes not very good at fact-checking. Um, you have this media culture which is very much bent on sales. Um, you see this with Apple Daily particularly. Um, and they're the one of the people that amplified the story, that they picked up these uh, reports and poured them as fact. And this led this led, this led to the perception that this was the case, that what this would ha has happened in Japan. Um There have been different efforts by uh, media groups, uh, media regulatory groups, uh, the Ministry of Defense, um, local governments, and um, the digital ministry... Um, also civic groups such as GovZero, to address the problem of fake news. However, in the past, these efforts have somewhat stalled after a period of time because of criticism and concerns regarding how this could possibly infringe on free speech in Taiwan, which I think is something that Taiwanese society, a uh, right the Taiwanese society defends highly.
1: Um, well, but there's a big difference, Brian, between something that's fake news, you know, some kind of conspiracy, for example, by China to influence public opinion in Taiwan and usually would be to influence mm-hmm. it against the government, that's, that's some kind of conspiracy by China to cause discord here in Taiwan. That's very different than bad journalism. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, but I think that it gets amplified because of bad journalism when that does happen. I think also just that there's a section of the population with very pro-China views that sometimes makes it very difficult to sort out. Um, sometimes even if it is fake news or facts that don't really hold up, when you go after this kind of uh, information, then you're easily accused of political persecution. Um, and so I think the steps to really address this are really still being developed, and that, that is a question. Um, this becomes an issue particularly with social media networks. Um, Line is usually pointed to as the uh, main sort of social media network or the sixth place, although it's also true of Facebook or messenger boards such as PTT and so forth. Um, but it does really have to do with the consumption of information in the digital age, I think, and that there's, there are many challenges there.
1: But are we, are we going to... Uh seek to have a legal punishment on individuals as opposed to media outlets. Uh, So if if you, Brian, as an individual or me as an individual, were to write something that's completely false with regard to um, what matters, right? well, You know, right what issues, which issues, uh, and should we be sanctioned as well, or are we only going to reserve these kinds of punishments for media organizations? And then, as you indicated, Brian, in, in, in this age, what is a media organization? Mm-hmm. Is it the traditional newspapers and television? Uh, there are news outlets that only have apps and websites, right? They mm-hmm. no longer um, publish a hard-copy newspaper or do television, or there are media outlets that began as app and website based without television or newspaper but now they're adding video content hmm. so who who is going to be the the target of this kinds of enhanced uh, laws or regulation, whereas before, as I said, you, know, you could look to uh, media such as TV and newspapers that are required by law to have certain licenses to publish a newspaper or to run a television uh, a TV station with with news content. You're, you're subject to uh, uh, various laws or regulations as well as a requirement to have internal guidelines about your process for research and publishing, you know, editorial approval, things like that. But but again, you know, Brian, our, our are you going to be sanctionable as an individual, me, because we write something that uh, might be fake and maybe we did it, uh, actually we did it out of spite, you know, we wanted to cause discord um, but but maybe I'm just some crazy individual, I mean do I deserve to, to get some kind of legal sanction for, for that? Uh, I think this is going to be very difficult for the government to struggle with as they try to expand the scope of existing law and regulation. You know, this is often the case in Taiwan where whatever kind of uh, commercial problem arises, uh, or sometimes a national security problem. Instead of implementing more thoroughly the existing laws and regulations, and we're now going to add on more laws and regulations beyond the existing ones that apparently were even um, implemented thoroughly or utilized to address this situation. So again, I, I think there are existing laws and regulations to address this issue. I'd be very weary of adding more. Mm,
2: yeah, I think that's the issue of the democratization of media, that um, it is much easier for anyone to report on things. You have, for example, people, just regular people, posting things on Facebook. And that's how a story becomes known when the thing that it's randomly posts on Facebook, a video or a note or something like that, just gets circulated widely. Um, at the same time, for example, with particularly with China, um, this is also means by which authoritarian governments crack down on the reporting of real news by uh, citizens doing what is actually the work that journalists should be doing in a place in which there's no freedom of speech. And so that's why um, there are these concerns about free speech and so forth. Um, Yeah, it also returns to the the old conflict between security concerns and freedom of speech, uh, political expression, and press in Taiwan, um, particularly regarding China, again, with regards to... uh, Chinese spying efforts in Taiwan, um, to what extent are, for example, when this comes from politicians, to what extent is this the expression of valid political views that may be pro-China or is this spying? And this, even when it is spying, the government will be accused of, of political suppression. Um, which well, is,
1: well, Gavin, as you know, there, there's a proposed referendum to... Uh, Reopen nuclear plants in, in, in the, with the goal of uh, achieving green energy in the future. Maybe we should have a, a referendum to ban fake news with the goal of achieving true news. Or
0: well, maybe we've just reported fake news.
1: <laughs> you never know. No, we
0: haven't, because they'll were finance, wouldn't they will us, would not they that's, that's true. True. Then, we'll, <laughs> then, we'll, then we'll blame you, anyway. Anyway, let's move on from fake news and talk about actual news, and that's being speculation being abound that the Vatican and Beijing are on the verge of signing an agreement on the appointment of bishops in China that could result in the Holy See severing official ties with Taiwan. Now, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs says it's closely monitoring the deal, and it has been told that the agreement between Beijing and the Vatican will be based purely on religious affairs and not affect bilateral ties. And Taiwan's ambassador to the Vatican, Matthew Lee, has also told the press that the agreement is aimed at dealing with Catholic religious affairs in China, and he has been told by several high-ranking officials close to the Pope that the deal carries no political or diplomatic connotations. Lee says, though, he believes the Vatican wants to sign the agreement to give the Chinese people a chance to lead a normal life of faith, ease the oppression of Chinese Catholics, and to help promote religious freedom throughout China. Now, reports have said the agreement is scheduled to be signed before October. So Brian,
2: mm. what are you reading into this story? I think it's a uh, it relates to Taiwan's loss of diplomatic allies, although the Vatican is of course it's it's religious in nature and so it's not a typical diplomatic ally. Um it's another way of a stories that comes up periodically is the Vatican is going to do something and how will that affect Taiwan? Um and so this is another recurrence of it. It does seem to be that the Vatican is looking to make some kind of deal with China. The force, um, I mean, China's presence on the world stage is known to everybody. And so it is per- perhaps natural that the Vatican would try to come to some arrangement with China. Um, at the same time, this has, of course, led to contention within the Catholic Church itself. Um, you have, for example, high-profile card—you uh, have high-profile members such as Joseph Chen in Hong Kong criticizing uh, Pope Francis' as a decision on this. Um, While well, the Taiwanese Catholic Church has not uh, high-ranking members have not overtly criticized the decision of the Vatican in the same level as uh, Joseph Chen- Zen has. That might happen in the future if the Vatican does decide to make a big uh, a deal with China. Um, the question, the big question, is, is the question of the so-called underground Catholic Church in China and these uh, unre- bishops that are appointed by the Chinese government that are unrecognized by the Vatican. Because that's what the deal was about. Of
0: course, yeah, the Vatican, that's right. the China will say, okay, the Vatican can have say on the bishops, and then apparently the Pope has final mm-hmm. say on the bishops.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And there's actually one bishop in China that was asked to step down in favor of the the bishop nominated by the Chinese government, and then he subsequently was arrested and later released, and then later arrested again and later released. I'm not sure of his current status.
1: Well, the, uh, from the media reports, the proposal would, uh, as you indicated, Gavin, it would have a committee from both sides that would compose a list and forward it to the Pope for approval. So if there's one one specific opening and the committee meets and sends a list of one name, then the Pope will approve it. So it, it appears that the uh, heavy negotiation on, on the appointment of specific persons would occur before the uh, selection is forwarded to the Pope for the Pope's signature, uh, which is actually a face-saving way. Uh, for the two sides to proceed and that it it would avoid public uh, disagreement, assuming that at the committee level the appointments would be discussed and and, uh, compromises and agreements would be reached. Uh, But there's been speculation in the media for some time that this is how things would occur, that in the first stage, there would be some kind of agreement over religious affairs, and and the the most difficult issue was the appointment of bishops, but there are other issues... uh, Involved here as well, such as church property, uh, the ability of people from um, the Holy See or, or the Vatican uh, to visit China on a regular basis to support the efforts of the uh, cardinals, bishops, and priests who are serving already in China. So, so the religious affairs aspect is is. Uh, very broad. It's not just going to be the appointment of, of church officials. And that that will be a first stage. And, and it really shouldn't surprise us if at a latter stage, uh, the two sides do establish formal diplomatic relations, which would obviously involve the de-recognition, de-recognition of the Republic of China by the, by the Holy See. Uh, we do have a new angle here, which is the United States and and its recent pattern of being very critical of countries that de recognize uh, the ROC on Taiwan and
0: it what, would be, would,
1: what would it do then? It would, that, that it, is an it, excellent question. Donald Trump would excommunicate the Pope. <laughs> we, and we, we, be quite interesting. We yes. we, we don't know Definitely. because the previous cases have involved uh, countries, and as you said, Gavin, the Holy See is is distinguished in so many different ways from uh, a country. Mm-hmm. Um, although it does have diplomatic relations, in addition to the religious affairs relationships uh, with its believers in those countries, it does have government to government diplomatic relations. Uh, so what kind of sanction or punishment, would the United States withdraw its ambassador or recall its ambassador, who happens to be the wife of um, Newt Gingrich, a very outspoken and enthusiastic supporter of President Trump. Um, And at times in the past, Newt Gingrich has been a very outspoken and enthusiastic supporter of Taiwan as well, uh, both when he was in Congress and he was the Speaker of the House of Representatives and subsequently in, in his career as a commentator. Uh, so we we don't know what kind of action the United States would take in response, um, and w- would it downgrade relations with the Holy See and, and potentially anger many Catholics in the United States? Uh, we don't know.
2: That'd be that'd be quite interesting. Um, yeah, that definitely does add a new wrinkle to this, and I, I suppose mm-hmm. we'll just have to see when it, it when if something does happen. Um, I do think uh, Catholics in Taiwan are watching. Uh, the Vice President is a uh, Catholic, um, and particularly I think there's awareness of what is going on in China still with de- demolition of churches in Zhejiang, for example. However, I'm, I am I also just do wonder about the state of Catholics across the world, how aware they are of this. And it'll also be interesting if there are further reactions. Um, you know, a lot of attention is going to reactions within uh, the Catholic Church from high-ranking church members, but from everyday members, or regular, you know, church uh, believers, if there will be actions in the future that on
1: a, a widespread scale that remains to be seen. The, the question that Um, religious leaders, not just in the Catholic faith, but other religions, struggle with here is do do you do a deal? Do you reach an agreement with with a government whose views uh, towards religious freedom are generally antithetical to those who's to support religious freedom and, and that environment has been uh, getting increasingly worse in China? Um, or, or on the other hand, do you reach a deal so that the church can uh, carry out its activities more directly with its believers? So do you say no deal with a, with a government that treats uh, religious freedom this way or a deal in the interest of having more interaction and providing more support to believers? But for believers in Taiwan, for a Catholic church, um, believers here in Taiwan, what remains to be seen as well is do they object because of the potential loss of diplomatic relations or are they going to object because it's a deal with a government that's perceived and generally uh, we, b- we believe does not respect religious freedom or do believers in Taiwan uh, support this deal in the interest of the church being able to provide sufficient support to current or future believers in China. I I think as of now, we haven't seen uh, the church in Taiwan or the church members in Taiwan take a strong public view either way and, and, and make clear what their position on this is. Because if they do support the deal at this stage, again, it's kind of de facto supporting the eventual loss of recognition with Taiwan. But do believers in Taiwan prioritize allowing the church to to do church business, which is to support believers all over the world, including in China, or do they prioritize the importance of diplomatic relations? And we don't know yet because the believers, broadly speaking, haven't taken a clear position here in Taiwan.
2: Yeah. And so I think just in the future, this will definitely be a thrown into a sharper relief. Um, I don't think China, I think China, um, it's a question if their religious policy towards the Catholic Church will change in the future as well. I mean, currently we see what's going on in Xinjiang with persecution of Islam. Um, You see the suppression of Tibetan Buddhism and also similar to what they did with the Catholic Church, just the installation of their own religious leaders. Um, There's even possibly after Dalai Lama passes away that they will try to install their own Dalai Lama. Um, And so these dynamics have been long existing. But I think that sometimes there is is even... A uh, surprising lack of discussion of a religious angle in, in Taiwan. Um, you often see these issues framed in terms of sovereignty with regards to Xinjiang or Tibet or places like that. Um, and while there are a lot of Han Chinese that are Christian, um, whether in China or as part of the diaspora or in Taiwan or Hong Kong or wherever, um, just uh, in Taiwan, I think this this has become thought of primarily in diplomatic terms. And so for a question of uh, of what stance an official religious institution um, such as the Catholic Church uh, with the Vatican takes towards China that's, that's a question
0: Right, and we'll move on from religion to polling, and that being a couple of polls we'll release this week that appear to be pointing to a possible heavy DPP loss in November's local elections. Now, a poll by the Taiwan Competitiveness Forum showed that public support for the DPP is at an all-time low of 19.8%, while a poll by the Taiwanese Public Opinion Foundation found that President Tsai Ing-wen's approval rating has dropped to 31.2%. Now, the poor performances are being attributed to the government's handling of the economy, worsening air quality, recent flooding, and El Salvador severing ties with Taiwan. At a more local level, well, we had two polls this week concerning the Taipei City election, the first of which was TVBS, which their poll basically showed that incumbent mayor Kerwin Jiu remains favourite to win with a support rating of 37%. The KMT's Taipei mayoral candidate, Ding Shoujong, had a 32% support rating, while the DPP's Pesu Yayao was in third place with an 11% support rating according to the TVBS poll. Now, another poll by the United Daily News gave Kerwin Jiu a 37% support rating, Ding Shouzhong a 29% support rating, and Yao an 8% support rating. Now, talking about Pursu Ya Yao, he went out this week. He went to Gao this week and he met with former President Chen Shui bian And apparently he asked Chen to serve as his supreme advisor for his election campaign. Yao also said that he's asked Chen to serve as an advisor to his administration should he win the Taipei election. There we go. Political suicide or maybe a canny move we don't know yet. Also in election-related news this week, the KMT's new Taipei City Mayoral candidate, Ho Yo E, well, he's coming under fire for apparently using fake material in a campaign film that opposes the reopening of the Shen Ao power plant. Now, this has got Thai powers back up, and it lodged a formal protest with Ho's campaign team against the film that included footage of thick black smoke billowing from random Power plants and smokestacks. Now, Tai Power says none of the footage is in fact from Taiwan, and reports have said that Ho Yoi's campaign team used footage of at least one heavy polluting Russian power plant in the advert. So let's start with the polls, there, Brian. The national polls talking about DPP support plummeting and plummeting support for tying ing
2: hmm. Um I think the polls in Taiwan tend to be slanted. Politically one way or the other, and oftentimes they're just very much caught up in the media and this uh, narrative regarding different political parties. So it's hard to say, but I do think there is widespread dissatisfaction with the Tsai administration. At the same time, I think that that might actually still mean the DPP will just get voted in because there's no other option. Um, I think that you observe that in the past with past administrations, whether DPP or in KMT, and I think this will also be the case. Um, although it is, of course, in the interest of the KMT to make it appear as though the Tsai administration is coming under fire, Regarding so many issues, which it is, but it's, it's also hard to say, will this actually, will this actually be, be beneficial to, let's say, pan-blue political actors, even if the pan-green camp is not also looking that good right now.
0: I believe the Taiwan Competitive Forum poll gave the KMT something like 30.1% support.
2: Mm-hmm. I think uh, just based on the, the KMT's actions as of late and their failure to really mobilize a large amount of people regarding some of the issues they are really pushing on, um, that seems to contradict some of the polling Obviously, you also have pan-green-leaning polls that do indicate stronger DPP support. Um, But I think we'll have to see as things go on.
1: It's been expected that America would have a smooth re-election. These polls are not going to change that perception, even though some of the polls are showing an increase in support for Ding Shouzhong. Uh, But uh, as far as the DPP more broadly, some of the polls you cited, Gavin, are actually performed by what's perceived to be pro-DPP polling entities or think tanks. The the issue seems to be not so much that the KMT has a strong group of candidates or has a set of proposed policies at, at the local level across the various jurisdictions that is inspiring voter support. More, the issue more likely seems to be uh, somewhat of a l- increasing amount of dissatisfaction with government performance, which is not unusual two years into the term of an incumbent government uh, at the central level, and now that's filtering down uh, down ballot to the local level for this November's uh, election. Uh, so it's very much in the hands of the DPP if, if uh, one believes that the KMT is offering uh, only relatively weak candidates, relatively weak policy proposals, then the DPP should have an easy path to victory, and it's up to them to explain to voters why their policies are working.
2: Um, Yeah, I think that's right, Um, because perhaps voters might switch to the KMT just to give the KMT another shot if they view the DPP as doing really badly right now. However, um, the KMT doesn't look so strong right now. Um, Di Sozhong does seem to be a stronger candidate uh, compared to Pa Um I think Pa appointing Chen shui Bien as his uh, campaign advisor is really a sign of desperation um, an appeal to the deep greens in order to shore up his vote. Political suicide, I would to called it. And then here you go. <laughs> I,
1: thought, I thought the term was you know, kind of extra exalted, high spiritual advisor, uh, yes, some kind of odd and wordy uh, title that that they well, gave what's him. What's interesting
0: that came out of that, of course, is whether is actually allowed to even accept such a position because mm. he's on medical parole, of course.
1: Well, I, this issue has been... It's also controversial uh, within the pan-green camp. Like this Russia. issue is, has been um, discussed... Uh, adjudicated by the authorities repeatedly every time Chen shui uh, appears at some kind of public event uh, or makes public remarks, which are clearly inconsistent with the uh, terms of the medical parole and, and the Authorities say, oh, well, you know, sort of, kind of, he really shouldn't do that, and we'll talk to him and issue a warning, and, and then he does it again. Uh, it, it really does violate the spirit, if not the specific terms of, of the medical parole. Uh, whether or not he'll help uh, Pasua Yao in Taipei uh, Probably not. Uh, even though we should remember that Chen Shui Bian was elected mayor of Taipei, mm. but that was way back in 1994, and he did lose his reelection campaign in 1998. Uh, so whether this is going to inspire voters to show up, who are going to stay home? or to switch their vote from uh, Koenja to Pasuyao, uh, unlikely, um, small chance it might increase Pasuyao's vote, but he, he's, he's so far behind America right now that it's unlikely to have any substantial effect on, on the outcome. Mm.
0: And Brian, what about Hoyoi? Obviously, we're talking about fake news earlier, and apparently he released a campaign video full of, um, well, faked footage.
2: Mm. Um, yeah, I think that is the case. Um, although campaign ads in Taiwan, one often just does see images lifted from anywhere to exaggerate a political message. Um, And the KMT is accused, particularly with regards to the environmental um, issues currently regarding coal power or nuclear power, of really exaggerating um, in in order to try to build their credentials. Um, They're really sticking to this um, platform of um, being against coal power, but for nuclear power. And... um, yeah, I just think with a lot of environmental issues, sometimes it does serve your purpose to distort the facts. And politi- uh, power issues of power in Taiwan tend to be very political um, because of environmental pollution, also the long-standing debate on nuclear energy and so forth um so it doesn't really surprise me um
0: I mean, do you think this will be noticed by the voters or really people who look at it and go oh there's that funny video and it'll be forgotten the next time i think
2: people forget about it mostly just an image that passes by um <laughs> the power companies themselves might take issue with it however. they're very angry yeah.
0: ty power is very angry that's right i mean well of, power, of course ty, ty
1: power is probably, uh, angry an gavin <laughs> it's it's a it's a political organization because its leadership is appointed by the incumbent government, uh, whosoever in the presidential office gets to appoint the leadership of state-owned companies like Thai Power. So, of course, uh, any type of criticism uh, of Thai Power by uh, a KMT politician will be met with uh, a vibrant response from the government or, or directly by Thai Power. If we want to give Hoyo Yi some benefit of the doubt. However, a limited gap. And I see you're, you're making a face at that <laughs> suggestion. Uh, he is running to be mayor of a municipality uh, where he's going to live and work and uh, serve the voters. So one would hope that his intentions are not to worsen the environment in, in Thai, New Taipei City and that he wants to take steps to improve the environment and make it a better uh, place for the the millions of people who live and or work there. So we should probably give him some limited benefit of the doubt. Uh, when it comes to his environmental policy, but whether it's a policy that actually leads to improved air quality or to something that's sustainable, uh, we we have to see whether or not the nuclear plants actually get a longer life uh, and or the possibility, which does seem remote, that the fourth nuclear power plant uh, will proceed. And, And part of this is also tied up with the referendum plan. Mm-hmm. And if Ho Yo does win the election, um, and some polls do put him ahead, I think we should expect uh, some pretty heated battles between uh, New, New Taipei's government and the central government as to what kind of power plants should be operating in New Taipei.
0: I believe Ho Yeo has about a 40.1% support rating at the moment, and I think Su Jung Chung, 298 or something, Brian?
2: Mm, yeah, that's right. Although it's a question if uh, Su Jung Chung can catch up. Um, some do suggest that he might be able to do so and that um, some voters see him as more reliable and more experienced than Ho.
0: Right, now we shall leave the politics and talk about crime. That being an investigation into the murder and dismemberment of a Canadian national in New Taipei in late August. Well, it took a major turn this week with the repatriation from Manila of an Israeli and American national wanted in connection with the killing. Now, Oren Shlomo Meyer was arrested by Philippine police on September the 5th, hiding out in an apartment east of Manila after he left Taiwan in the days immediately following the murder. Now, officials say that his swift repatriation was due to coordination among authorities in the United States, the Philippines and here in Taiwan. Now, speculation about the murder has been tabloid fodder since the dismembered body of the victim was discovered under the Jongjung Bridge in the Yonghe district on August the 22nd. Now, the fodder has contained allegations and innuendo concerning the sale of marijuana, a police informant, a marijuana farm and drug-dealing rivalries to name but a few of the allegations that nobody really knows which are true or not. Now, the new Taipei District Prosecutor's Office and the police have released very few details about the investigation, although Ross, I'm sure, is going to argue that maybe they've released a bit more than we know. Now, of course, another US national was arrested by police in Taipei in connection with the case on August the 25th and he remains in custody, while a Taiwanese-Canadian questioned by police about the case has been released on bail. So, Ross?
1: A lot of uh, news about the facts of the two cases is appearing in the media uh, uh, at least for the uh, murder case in Taiwan it appears that a certain amount of news is being leaked by the prosecutors and the police which is unfortunate because these things should be kept confidential if for no other reason that it, it ensures a more thorough and accurate investigation uh, the the facts of the case um, you know, we'll, we'll find out as, as the investigations proceed and the case moves to a court trial. Uh, It's unfortunate that within a short period of time, we now have this second piece of news involving a foreigner and uh, entering, exiting Taiwan uh, that involves very serious crimes, whether it occurred, whether the crime occurred in, in Taiwan in the case of the murder or occurred in the United States in, in the case of um, the more recent uh, news about the, the American who offered to share the blueprints for 3D guns, and now he's also accused of involvement with, with um, a sexual crime with an underage uh, victim. Uh, so uh, just just a almost unfortunate coincidence, um, and it puts Taiwan in, in the international media for bad reasons.
0: Brian, of course, you wrote an article about... <clears throat> tabloid fodder from this murder investigation
2: Um, that's right I think it's been unfortunate that this has reflected this is refracted in a certain way in Taiwan's media practices uh, which are very tabloid heavy whether this be from something like the Apple Daily or even the Liberty Times which is uh, Taiwan's most widely circulated newspaper and then with English language coverage this uh, is reflected um, just this media culture Um, also particularly the actions of Taiwan News which has sometimes just reposted or translated really uh, Apple Daily articles on this has stirred up a lot of panic um, and so it's unfortunate because I think, um, it does actually, it does actually affect the process of justice, um, that prosecutors have to deal with the, uh, panic or all the media inquiries and so forth. And that might be why if that, that, that might be why possibly they are leaking details to the press, um, just to avoid criticism. And I think the, the, the principle of innocent before proven guilty should generally apply, but that is usually not how the media works, um, and that has a lot led to a lot of these accusations, particularly regarding the victim, um, who suffered a painful and tragic death. Um, and so with regards to the, uh, this suspect fleeing to the Philippines and then being extradited back to Taiwan, this has become sort of a drama, almost like a television drama that he was hiding out there and so forth. But that's probably not how the case should be reported. And um, I think a lot of the media behavior in this case has been highly irresponsible.
1: Well, it, it, of course, attracts media attention because it mm. involves foreigners. And, yeah, and exactly. Foreigners being involved in crime uh, always uh, attracts uh, extraordinary amount of media attention uh, because foreigners stand out in Taiwan. There's not – relatively speaking to, to the population, there are not many foreigners here in Taiwan. Uh, so when, when um, they are involved in, in crimes, uh, it, it's news. It, it creates – or – Brings up again biases or, or perceptions about foreigners in Taiwan, some of which involve very unfortunate negative stereotypes as well, um, and, and that that gets reported or re-reported again and again when these incidents uh, occur. But the the re- most important result here will be uh, what happens in the courts, and uh, we we can only hope that the courts. Uh, conduct, and the prosecutors as well, conduct themselves in in a professional way in accordance with the laws while respecting both the rights of the victims, or in this case, the the family of the victim, uh, as as well as the rights of the accused who, as Brian said, are innocent until proven guilty. And even if guilty, uh, like it or not, and many of us don't like it, but they are entitled to some rights, even if they are convicted.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, Unfortunately, just foreigners, drugs and all murder. And this is the exact wrong constellation of things that causes it to become such a big story.
0: What about his rather speedy capture in the Philippines and his rather speedier repatriation to Taiwan?
1: Well, there's a lot of confusion about this and and we see it uh, with the case of the uh, American with the 3D uh, gun blueprints as well extradition treaty or not is not is not really the important issue although that's how it gets you know reported in a lot of media you know any country has the right to uh, basically throw out a foreigner that they don't want in their country so in the case of the uh, American who was on the run to the Philippines uh, American as well as Israeli uh The Philippines could just throw them out at any time. It doesn't matter if there's an extradition treaty with Taiwan or not. And typically in these situations, if a country is going to throw someone out, the easiest thing to do, the most expedient thing to do is you put them on a plane back to their point of embarkation. Uh, So the same thing might happen with uh, the 3D gun uh, criminal. and and sexual crime criminal. Um, There's no extradition treaty between the United States and and Taiwan, and some media is reporting it as he came to Taiwan because there's no extradition treaty and he'll be safe here, which is completely inaccurate. I I wouldn't call that fake news. I would just call it sloppy reporting because, again, um, this guy has no right to remain in Taiwan. He entered uh, on a uh, visa waiver, which Americans enjoy here in Taiwan, but Taiwan could decide we don't want this foreigner... Here And he has no right to remain here, especially if the United States were to cancel his passport, because then he'd be a foreigner without a travel document. And as everyone knows, when you enter a country, the small print says you need to have a valid travel document, usually for six months or more. So uh, whether or not there's an extradition treaty between the Taiwan and the Philippines, Taiwan and the United States... Not the key point. Uh, the key point is to detain these people and then determine what is the appropriate way to uh, remove them from the country or send them to a country that is requesting uh, that, they, that they, uh, the, the country that picked up the person uh, return them to. Uh, and that's probably how it'll play out with this American guy who, who, who's on the run here in Taiwan now.
0: And the police, they, uh, this morning, when we're recording this show, the police have found that he tried to rent two apartments in Taipei. But they still haven't found him. Well,
1: any notion that renting an apartment gives him some kind of safety to remain in Taiwan is preposterous. I think also, just
2: you have to, you know, register your passport. That's not the way to avoid being found. I think. (laughs)
1: Well, same thing with with, uh, the guy who's on the run into the Philippines, right? He he Mm -hmm. rented a a hotel room or a a, a Mm -hmm. short-term rental apartment and eventually he was caught. So this guy renting an apartment, first of all, we don't even know if it's true. And as we've been discussing throughout this program, there are lots of inaccurate reporting that occurs in the Taiwan media. But even if he rented an apartment and signed a one-year or two-year or a five-year lease, it's completely irrelevant. So to, to focus on this is very silly. Again, the key thing here is for the the police to detain him, hand him over to the National Immigration Agency, which is probably going to take him to the airport and put him on a plane back to the United States. End of story.
0: Right, and talking of an end of story, we can move on now to what could be the end of a pipe dream for Premier William Lai, who, of course, plans to make English an official language. Now, several weeks ago, we questioned this proposal on the show. Well, we weren't alone as the Legislative Organic Laws and Statutes Bureau was also questioning the plan, saying that there are two major problems that would arise if English is designated an official language in Taiwan by law. Yes, these are legal problems. The Bureau says, firstly, English would have to be used by all state and government agencies and in all official texts. And secondly, any moves to give official status to the English language would conflict with the proposed National Languages Development Act, which has been drafted to promote all the languages spoken in Taiwan by the island's different ethnic groups.
1: Well... These issues have been talked about and proposed and uh, rejected and re-proposed for so many years. Uh, And we all know what the challenges are, resources, budget, the availability of uh, qualified instructors at at the the most junior levels of the education system all the way up uh, to, to the more senior levels. Uh, So for for people who immediately want to criticize and reject this proposal, there's some basis for doing that Uh, and legislating this at the present time. It's also unclear why it's a priority among other priorities uh, for the legislature, for the executive U.N., Uh, the presidential office, uh, whether it's economic issues, transitional justice issues are an important topic uh, recently. Uh, National security issues are an ongoing issue. So now we're going to take up, potentially take up a lot of time discussing this issue. uh, And it's a little unclear why this is a priority right now.
0: And of course, how will they be discussing it in English or in Mandarin or in Taiwanese?
1: That's a very reasonable question (laughs) to ask. and, And, uh, Gavin, I hope you do attend a press conference of the Executive UN. And you ask this question in English to the spokeswoman, uh, whether or not this proposal is being discussed internally in English.
2: Hey, well, that's one way to encourage uh, English uh, development in Taiwan.
0: <laughs> but, of course, there is a drawback here. It, it did say that all if English becomes a sec- an official language by law, it would have to be used in all state and government agencies, both at a national and local level, and in all official texts, mm. I think if okay. I think if,
2: yeah, I think if that's the case, that could the results could actually even be a great model bureaucratically. Um, just you see already a lot of incredible, incoherent English language documents for, for example, work visas or things like that, because. Uh, yeah, I've looked at actually some of the different visa changes and just the, the website, uh, much less the application form. It's basically incomprehensible. It's very hard to understand what they want you to do, what you need, and so forth. And seeing this at every level of the government hypothetically uh, producing these English language documents, I could to see enormous amount of basically nonsense just being produced, um, which is a, a, a waste of resources and also helps
1: nobody.
0: That, are they going to employ a lot of translators?
2: Which could
1: provide job opportunities. <laughs> for, for the three of us, yeah. So, so I guess we need to change our attitude, Gavin, and be enthusiastic uh, supporters. But uh, to be fair, um, and, and I think uh, many of the listeners would, would understand this, uh, some local governments as well as agencies of the central government have over the years made efforts, and William Lai, notably in Tainan, made an effort to expand the use of English within the, the scope of his authority as as the mayor. Uh, There's different levels of of success. Brian, you cited work visa-related documentation. Um, Frankly, that's one of the easier agencies to access English language information and and get clarity. And it's one of the agencies where an individual could just walk into the help center and get guidance. And and frankly, their website information is actually better than a lot of other government agencies. Uh, But it's an endemic problem over the years, for without a law requiring it, for the government agencies at the central to local level that have tried to do this. And yes, um, they, they have not been so successful. So it would take an extraordinary amount of money um, for translators or for review. I mean, that's one of the other issues uh, that, again, I'm sure many listeners uh, have come across, uh, especially you know, far, far, uh, listeners in the foreign community, that um, when people who speak English as a second language produce something in English, and then they ask for feedback (laughs) from a native speaker, Uh, sometimes the feedback is not accepted. And w- would government agencies be willing to accept feedback from professionals? You know, Brian, you're, you're a professional writer. Uh, and you, you, you operate a commentary website. You know, Gavin, you're, you're a professional journalist. I'm a lawyer. You know, All of us can provide excellent feedback on the quality of English language documents, uh, especially things of a more official nature as opposed to you know, informal banter like we're having on this show. Uh, but will government agencies be willing to spend that money as well as accept the feedback and implement it uh, from professionals like us, again, past experience should not make us optimistic.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, Just one can look at, for example, the fact that many English teaching schools have flawed class materials and that it's written quite badly and by Taiwanese for whom English is not a first language. And then when English teachers who do have English as a native language try to correct this, uh, they get told not to by the superiors. And one can imagine this problem having... Uh, happening at the government level at a much larger scale and so i, I think uh, that is yeah not cause for optimism
0: now anyway before we go today yet another case of the use of nazi symbolism made the news this week after the taipei jewish center and germany's de facto embassy called on a hair salon on in Shinzu to remove a sign that resembled well a swastika resembled it looked like a swastika there's more succinct it looked like a swastika now the complaint came days after photographs of the hair salon's signs went viral now the signs hanging outside of the aptly named berlin hair salon featured razors arranged in the shape of well said swastikas now the owner of the store denied charges of running a nazi themed establishment but he was forced to remove photographs of the signs from his facebook page after a public backlash now the owner earlier this week said that he doesn't have enough money to remove the actual signs at the moment in front of his business but he now has taken a rather large black pen to them and covered the offending swashdicker bits up. Now, interestingly enough, he's also been quoted by local media as Stang saying rather that the store had been threatened and people had been both urinating and defecating outside of it. So, Ross, the Taipei Jewish, there you go, it was your statement that made him get rid of this.
1: Yes, uh, I am the chairman of the Taipei Jewish Centre, and we did issue a statement condemning uh, the use of Nazi symbolism, specifically in this case a swastika, uh, for commercial advertising purposes. And we frequently, uh, I, I, as a rule, we criticize this. We, we do issue a statement when it does happen. And unfortunately, it happens all too often. And it, it happens with commercial advertising. It happens in uh, the politics where one side of the political debate in Taiwan or the other either uses such imagery or they accuse the other side of acting like Hitler. Um, we've seen it obviously in the educational system with the famous incident in Shinju in December, 2016. Uh, coincidentally, this hair salon incident also occurred in Shinju. So, uh, bad coincidence, but it's peculiar that these two incidents both happened in Shinju. <laughs> uh, we've seen it, again, in the educational system, even um, in, in school songs at the university level. The, the Ministry of National Defense, uh, one of their educational I- institutions uh, was involved in an incident uh, that uh, where students made use of uh, something from the Nazis. So, you know, it's a lot of... Sadness, frankly, for, for Taiwan's Jewish community when this happens, and and, and the, the fact that it's a recurring problem, and, and to, to compound the sadness, you know, the, this incident with the hair salon came in what is the holiest week of the year for the Jewish faith, because it was right in between our, our Jewish New Year and uh, a very important holiday called the Day of Atonement, which was uh, in the middle of this past week. Uh, so. To keep seeing it, to see it at this time, uh, coincidentally, but again in Shinju, all these factors uh, do prompt us to reply publicly when it occurs. And uh, fortunately, um, the store owner has changed the sign. It would have been better if he had been willing to understand the severity of the concern in the first instance, and rather than say, oh, you misunderstand, it wasn't the intention, uh, which was his initial reaction, which frankly is the initial reaction uh, very often of other Entities, commercial, political, education, that have uh, been involved in such incidents. So it's not the first time where the person or the entity using the uh, Nazi symbolism has a negative reaction to the criticism. And then only upon further public criticism do they uh, withdraw the advertising or, or the signage. Uh, so all these factors, again, that just sort of compound. The sadness that we feel. Uh, Of of course, we don't condone uh, threats or or, uh,
0: defecating or urinating.
1: Of course, we don't we don't condone that. We don't condone any type of uh, self help. You know, where people who are angry go there as individuals. Obviously the proprietor of the hair salon, has faced an enormous amount of media inquiries and journalists going to his his place of business. Um, and you know, there's a good outcome here in that he changed the sign. It's unfortunate that he was initially reluctant. And again, it's unfortunate that it keeps happening.
2: Uh, yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, I do think that there will be further such incidents in the future. Um, sometimes despite the fact that these incidents occur the lessons are not taken away from them there is this this uh, odd recurrence of Nazi imagery in many contexts just even walking through a night market you might just see a t-shirt produced from somewhere that has Nazi imagery on it and so unfortunately um, I think these kind of cases of ignorance just will continue to happen
0: and it was called the Berlin Hair Salon. That's right, was, and there's, there's
2: almost no denying it there. You
0: can't, you can't get away with that, really, can you? You know. Well, again,
1: that that goes to to the fact that initially the proprietor was reluctant to change the signage. Um, despite the the very obvious (laughs) facts that the razor blades were arranged uh, like a Nazi swastika. The angle of the swastika uh, was arranged the same as uh, the way the Nazis typically uh, arranged their swastika. It was not arranged at the angle or or the direction of uh, a Buddhist swastika. And it was called the Berlin Hair Salon.
0: Should have put pictures of the wall, shouldn't he, really? I guess so. There you go. He wouldn't have any trouble. Of course, he could have also played music by Marlene Dietrich. The,
1: there are certainly better ways to uh, advertise one's product than to use such imagery. And, and, and you know, kidding aside, in all seriousness, every time this happens, uh, because I'm a foreigner who lives in Taiwan, because I am a, I have a leadership role in the Jewish community, and because this gets into the international news, I'm often asked by, by other foreigners, both here in Taiwan or outside Taiwan, well, how would people in Taiwan or, or, or other parts of Asia, where these incidents sometimes occur, feel if uh, a proprietor in the United States used uh, a symbolism of Imperial Japan, which created terro- which uh, engaged in terrible atrocities across Asia? Um, if a proprietor of a business establishment used symbolism of Imperial Japan in store signage or advertising or some cartoon image of Tojo or or Emperor Hirohito in a way that alludes to the imperial era, uh, how would people in this part of the world feel? And I say, well, of course they'd be upset. So then the question I'm asked is, well, then why are they using symbolism uh, from from Nazi Germany? Uh, Don't they understand uh, that this upsets people uh, around the world? And and keep in mind, a very important part of this discussion is this is not just upsetting to the Jewish people. And that's why the German office uh, immediately issues a statement, or when this occurs in other parts of Asia, uh German embassy as immediately will issue a statement. Uh, all freedom-loving loving people should be offended when this occurs anywhere in the world. Uh, so it's not just an issue for the Jewish community. And that's why it gets into the international media. And unfortunately, at, at least for Taiwan, when this gets into the international media, um, as these incidents uh, usually do... Um, It just makes for a bad image of Taiwan. And and these will get into the international media if for no other reason than it keeps happening.
0: (laughs) Anyway, that's why we'll leave it here this week, here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Brian Hugh. Good night. And Ross Feingold. Good night. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access... one of our previous shows
2: tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for
0: another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week and don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website icrt.com.tw now keep it here for more
1: music and news only on ICRT FM 100